good morning and welcome to Life Church as the house lights are coming up. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. And if you take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Matthew, it's the first book in the New Testament. And uh, Matthew chapter 28, we're going to get there in just a minute. And then we're going to follow that up with the book of Titus, uh, which is one of the pastoral epistles in the New Testament. And if you would turn there to Titus chapter 2 or kind of hold that, we'll get there in just a minute. We're concluding our series uh, on the network. And we've been talking about four critical relationships that people need, that we all need uh, in this side of eternity. And we started Easter weekend talking about the Savior, that we need a Savior, that that's foundational, uh, and and that Jesus Christ is that Savior, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man goes to the Father except through the Son. We talked about the following weekend about having best friends and friendship and how we need people to encourage us and walk with us and be with us, and we all need BFFs in life. And uh, then last weekend, we talked about the power of mentorship, and, and, and we talked about the Yoda in your life, that, that person that speaks wisdom and knowledge and insight, and um, I kind of gave you some personal examples of my life and where I'm at and, and how I apply that. And today, we want to talk about uh, the other side of Yoda, the other side of mentorship. We want to talk about the protege. We want to talk about how do you find people to pour your life into and also as, uh, and then what should be the outcome of those relationships? And this is really, 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 really important. And matter of fact, if you, we're going to just launch right into the notes this weekend on the backside of your bulletin. Uh, the, the very first blank is the blank protege. Protege means uh, basically a disciple or a student or a follower. A protege is a disciple or a student or a follower. And um, this is a classic New Testament principle. It's actually a biblical principle that we see all the way throughout Scripture. But it's a fancy word that we used to call discipleship, and uh, still do, but it's a word, discipleship. And, and this has been something that has been all the way through Scripture that we're commanded to do this. So this isn't about someone saying, I've got something big that I want to impart into you, or I need followers, or you know, are you a follower of Aaron Cole? No, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But I, as a human being, I, as a person, as an individual who have been a recipient of God's grace, am in turn just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. It's kind of like when you find a great deal somewhere, ladies, when you find a sale at the mall, right? And the shoes, DSWs run everything 50% off. Let's just talk, let's just talk where we all live. You're going to call up your girlfriends and say, girl, you are not going to believe this. Mm, am I preaching yet? And that's what happens, right? When I find a great restaurant, wow, this week, man, have you been to Five Way Burgers yet? Or Five Guys Burger? Oh, hallelujah. I found a new, a new restaurant that I like. It's a chain, but wow. And they just do hamburgers and french fries. And I mean, they gave us a sack full of french fries. Hallelujah. Mm. Mm. So I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find some food. They've got two locations, one in Pewaukee and one at Bayshore. And they taste the same, okay? Trust me, I've tried them. Um, and and it's, so, so that's really what you're doing is you're saying, look, I've received something and I want to give it to you. So age is not the huge determining factor. It's really more about maturity and spiritual maturation and growth in your life and how you can help someone. And so um, that's what we're talking about today is how do you 
find someone to do that? And what does that relationship look like? And, and what should be the product of that? Now, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, Jesus says this before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. He basically gives the, gives the, the bottom line on this and um, tells the, the disciples, this is what you should do. Verse number 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. We are called as Christ followers to in turn take what we've received from God, the knowledge that we've received from God, and what we receive from God's word, and the growth that we have, and pour that into someone else. We're called to make disciples. We're called to, to develop Christ followers. We're called to speak into people's lives. We're called to be mentors to protégés. And there's examples of this all throughout Scripture. We see that Paul, Paul basically had two major mentors in his life, the Apostle Paul. First of all, before he converts to Christianity, uh, he was raised and reared in Judaism. He was a Jew. And, uh, and Gamaliel, who was the popular rabbi of the day, he was the, the rabbi, the leader, the teacher of the law of the day, uh, Paul was a pupil of. And what you have to understand about rabbis uh, in, in the first century and even before, anywhere in that time period, is that first of all, that, ra that, that students were chosen by the rabbi. You didn't get to apply to go through, to this particular rabbi's rabbinical school. You had to be chosen. They came and selected you. They handpicked you. And, and Gamaliel was the top of, of the rabbis of the day. He, um, uh, history tells us that he was the foremost. He was the front runner. He was kind of the rabbi of the rabbis, if you would. And so when Gamaliel picks Paul or Saul, of Tarsus before he converts to Christianity, before he has the road of Damascus experience, Paul was a very learned, very, very bright, very top level honor type student young man. And so he learns. That's the reason why when Paul writes throughout scripture and he says, I'm, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrew. I know this stuff forward and backwards. And you have to also understand about, about the, the rabbinical school and the rabbis. Um, the rabbi is not like how the local pastor would be viewed today. The rabbi was the top of the food chain. The rabbi was the superstar. The rabbi was the celebrity, if you would. Um, it's kind of like um, a couple of weeks ago, we were, I was traveling and, and, and Tammy was with me and we were in a restaurant in North Atlanta, just south of Alpharetta. And, um, and we were there and I told my wife, there is Tyler Perry, you know, Medea family reunion, you know what I'm talking about? I'm a huge fan. There's Tyler Perry. And she's like, Aaron, quit joking, because I'm that, I, I do that a lot. And uh, she's like, and I said, no, I'm telling you, that's Tyler Perry. So the waiter walks by the table and I says, excuse me, sir, is that Tyler Perry? And he's like, yeah, that's Mr. Perry. I said, I told you, woman, that is Tyler Perry right there. I'm looking at him. You know, I'm texting people, doing all this. I mean, you, they're like a celebrity. I mean, they, 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 he was kind of left alone and that kind of, you know, I remember being in, in LAX, uh, traveling to Los Angeles, and there is Tommy Lasorda in the men's bathroom. You have to remember the context in which I'm meeting him. This is Tommy stinking Lasorda. And I walk in the bathroom and I go, Mr. Lasorda, and I shook my hand out and he goes, son, now is not the time. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's Tommy Lasorda. 
Another time, Jay and Tammy and Donna and I were all traveling, and, and, and Renee Zellwinger was right, like two people in front of us. And I said, Tammy, that's Renee Zellwinger. She goes, no, it's not, Aaron. You always think you see these celebrities. And you know, I said, I'm telling you, woman, that is Renee Zellwinger. We get up to the counter. I said, ma'am, was that Renee Zellwinger? Oh, yes, Miss Zellwinger. She travels with our airline. I said, I told you. It's the airline of celebrities right here. Um, that's how a rabbi was viewed. They were at the top of the chain. They were the people that, when, when they would walk through, people would say, there he is, there's Camille, that's him, that's him, that's him. You know, it was that type of a deal. And to have a child that was going to rabbinical school under someone was huge. And so Paul learned, I'm trying to get the point, you have to understand the context, that this type of thinking of discipleship was huge. And it was formulated all the way in the Old Testament and made it all the way through. Then when Paul has his road to Damascus experience, Paul is uh, there and uh, he goes and spends a few years with a guy named Ananias. And Ananias basically teaches him how to um, take what he has learned from, from Judaism and from the rabbinical school and how that Jesus came not to do away with that law, but to fulfill that law and how that fleshes out in life before, before Paul lit, launches out into full-time ministry. Then Paul, in turn, as soon as he goes into full-time ministry, he begins to take young protégés, John Mark, uh, uh, Titus, Timothy, and he begins to work with them and develop them and to pour into his life. And you may say, well, does it always work? No, because the Bible tells us that Paul wrote in the pastoral epistles that Demas, who was a young protege of Paul, a disciple of Jesus Christ that Paul was mentoring, that he walked away from the faith. He went AWOL. He was the AWOL protege and that he walked away from all of that because just because you pour into someone doesn't mean that you're great or that you're not great or that what you're teaching is good or not good because we got to remember, we're not Rock 'em, sock 'em robots. We're not controlled by some cosmic joystick in the heavenly. We are people. We have choice. We have volition and will. And so we see that throughout scriptures. Uh, you, you see it in the Old Testament with, with, um, that Elijah mentored and, and his protege was Elisha. You see that Moses mentored and his protege was Joshua. What's interesting about Joshua is the Bible gives us no recorded history of Joshua ever mentoring someone else. And when Joshua dies, then the nation of Israel instituted what was called the judges. And the judges was the worst period of, of Israel's history known. Because the Bible said, this is what the Bible says about the period of the judges. They didn't know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Why? Because nobody taught them. Why? Because there was no, they weren't a protege to anybody. Because nobody poured into their life and nobody did that. And that's always the result. We're always one generation away from extinction. You understand that? We're, we're one generation away from, from someone not understanding and not knowing God, not knowing the word of the Lord. That's why this is so important. Whether you are mentoring someone or you're being mentored by someone, and we're probably receiving it both ways. And then, of course, Jesus. When Jesus comes to change the world, what does he do? He doesn't set up a rabbinical school. He, he doesn't set up a foundation. He doesn't set up a 501c3. He doesn't build this huge building. He finds 12 men of the most diversified and scattered and somewhat, in some cases, questionable backgrounds. And he says, these are going to be the guys. These are going to be the men that I'm going to pour my life into. And I'm going to give myself to. These are going to be the protégés. And these men will change the world. And remember... Even one of the 12 didn't make it. 
Again, volition and will. We are not rock'em, sock'em robots. So let's look in the notes. Protege prerequisites. What, what are some things you have to understand if you're going to mentor someone or there's going to be a protege? Well, first of all, you've got to understand that, that a protege is a result of a relationship and not a program. That a protege is a result of a relationship and, and not a program. If you're going to pour yourself into someone, you're going to have to evaluate, is there a good relational fit here? Because if you don't like that person, you're not going to be able to help that person. And that person really doesn't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You've heard that before. It's got to be based on relationship. No one in this room has ever been changed by just a program. The program had to be fleshed through a relationship. Even discipleship and discipleship programs, they're great and they're well and they're good, but if they're not anchored in relationship, if it's just someone teaching you raw data, blah, 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 you're not going to get it. And your head may get it, but your heart won't get it. And there's a huge, vast difference between having it here and having it here. Because out of here is where you're going to live life. Out of here is where the passion's going to come from. Out of here is where you, in turn, are going to pour into someone else what somebody's poured into you. So you've got to ask, is there a fit? You also have to evaluate the fact, you know, is your gifting going to be something that can help them? You know, you, you, you've got to work together. Again, it's a relational connection, a relational fit. And do you have a gifting that can help that person? And can that person benefit from that? And, and there's there a good exchange there. And then, then there's the commitment. You've got to ask yourself, this is going to take time. This is going to take my talent. This could take some treasure. Am I willing to invest in this person? Am I willing to, to walk this thing out? This may be longer than six months. This could be a six-year process. This is something that, and you have to ask yourself, because nothing's worse than a, than a mentor who aborts a protege halfway through the learning process. You've got to say, am I willing to go on cue and go online and pour into this person? And, and look, we're all benefactors of mentors who poured into us as protégés. And, and sometimes you go, well, yeah, that's great. You know, you're a pastor and you talked a lot about pastors and I get pastors don't do that. You may tell you one of the people that made one of the biggest impressions on my life was never a pastor. It was a youth sponsor that we had in the youth group that I grew up in. His name was Randy Craig. Randy Craig was a carpenter by trade. He owned a cabinet shop. Uh, he worked with his hands. Uh, he had four boys, and, and those boys, man, I think one of them's a fighter pilot today, and one of them's a doctor and an architect and an engineer. I mean, they're all over the globe. And he had these four boys. He had his hands full. I mean, he was doing stuff, but, but God put it in his heart to begin to pour in to some of us young guys in the youth ministry. It wasn't our youth pastor, it was him. We had great youth pastors, but it was him. And he decided he was going to pour into, he was going to relationally invest. And he began to pick us up every morning before school, Monday through Friday, and we would pray uh, from, from 6 o'clock in the morning until 7 o'clock. Again, I was 15. I was like, does it really take this much to be a Christian? I mean, do we really have to get up this early in the morning? I learned how to pray. I saw my parents pray, and they were, they were an example to me. But I learned what to do in prayer time by praying with Randy Craig. And, and, and this is the truth. It may be, maybe it's too transparent, but there have been times in my life, in my 20s and my 30s, where my prayer life as a 17-year-old outshined my prayer life as a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old. Because it was every day he would pull that van up and he would honk the, his work van and we would pile into the van and we would go to the church and we would sit and we would pray. 
five days a week, and he would teach us. And it was all a discipling process. It was all something he was pouring into our lives. He was, he was doing that. And today, you know, uh, uh, the, the guys, one guy owns a graphic design company. Another guy's a doctor. I'm a pastor. Uh, one guy totally walked away from faith and, and actually went into like a homosexual lifestyle. I mean, everybody's gone in different directions. But I'll never forget those mornings and it taught me, this is the value of relationship. This is what I learned. This is how people learn. So you got to understand, when you're talking about a protege, when you're talking about that it's not a program, it's not finding a great book and, and, and giving it, it's you giving your life to someone else. The, the other thing I would say the, the protege prerequisite is that a protege is not a copy of the mentor. They're a remix. You ever heard a great song that's remixed? That it's like a great, it's sometimes almost better than the, than the original version, or you're like, dude, I totally love that song in the 80s. And they totally brought it back. Um, and uh, it's a remix. It's, 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 not a, it's not a copy of. And so when you are pouring into someone's life, they're not going to look exactly like you. They're not going to do everything you would do. They're not going to maybe dress or talk. That's okay. It's a relational deal. They're, 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 there's a lot of room. There's a lot of possibility there. And at the same time, when someone's pouring into you, you may not look exactly like them or talk exactly like them. And, and, and there may be just an aspect of your life that you're developing. And that's okay. Uh, just understand that it's a relational connect that's a, not a copy, but a remix. And the last thing I would say about the prerequisite is that the process of a, of a protege is life to the mentor. The process of developing a protege is life-giving to the mentor. See, we are not, as human beings, we are not designed or created to be a reservoir. We are designed and created to be a river. We are designed so that an infinite God, who's all-powerful and all-knowing, flows into our life as a finite, limited, flawed human being to touch, and God, the, the, this infinite God flows through me as a finite human being to touch another finite human being. And in that, that exchange, that flow, purpose is created in my life. And I get more out of giving than I do out of receiving. That's the reason why the Bible says it's greater to give than it is to receive. See, it's not, just, it's not talking about money, although that could be part of it. That's very base. It's talking about the whole exchange, that there's something in me that when I serve, when I give, when I go, when I do, when I allow God Almighty to flow through my humble life to touch somebody else and somebody else is better for the journey, wow. That's the reason why I would tell you that, that leading someone to Christ is the greatest experience you can ever have in your life. And I don't even want to ask for a show of hands because it's amazing to me the number of people that go, well, I just don't have that gifting. Did you read Matthew 28, 19 and 20? It doesn't say if you have the gifting. It doesn't say if you're a pastor, if you're a leader. It says, hey, you crusty Christians. Mm, I'm all up in your kitchen now, aren't I? Come, don't shout me down when I'm preaching. Good. Go into all the world, to the highways and the byways and the hedges and compel them to come in and make disciples. Have protégés, Christ followers, pour into somebody's life and give. Listen, if you're a Christian today, and I'm making the assumption, which may be the wrong assumption, that if you are a Christ follower and you're on your way to heaven, that you are pouring into somebody else. If you're not doing that on a regular, intentional basis, you're missing out, and you're not doing the work of the kingdom. Woo! Let's rewind that one. What did he just say? I said, if you are not allowing God, the infinite God, to flow through your life to touch someone else on a regular basis and making disciples, you are not doing the work of the gospel. But I'm sitting on the church pew. Great. Glad, glad you're here. Let's, 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 you want a medal or a chest dependent on? What, what do you want? The reality is, is God's called us to allow his work and his grace and his mercy to flow through us to touch other people. I'm, 
I didn't write this. Don't get mad at me. He said, this is the greatest commission to, to the kingdom is that you and I would go and make disciples. Not that we would go and pay for disciples to be made. Not that we would go and send other people to do the work for us. And some of you go, mm, well, that's what we're paying you for. Really? That's not in my job description. <laughs> my job description is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. My job description is to get into your kitchen and rattle the pots and pans a little bit and mix it up. Because there are people in my life that rattle the pots and pans in my life and mix it up because we are here to help other people. Remember, we're not created for achievement. We're created for relationship. Mm, but I'm busy. I keep hearing that. And that just agitates me. And I've been guilty of saying that myself. And something that someone challenged me with the other day was, look at the life of Christ. We're Christians, which means we're Christ followers. And if you're not a Christ follower in this room, I'm not even talking to you, man. You don't have to help anybody out. You, you, you can get mad at everybody. You can just, whatever. But, but if you're a Christ follower, our example is Christ. And when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we never see Jesus ever hurried or too busy or too rushed. Everything he does is intentional. It's not reactionary. It's very, it's very action-oriented. And even when people are pushing in upon him, he still has time. He, in the throngs of the people coming in, he still has time to pour into the disciples. He still has time to, to, to take the children and allow them to come in and to play. He, he's never rushed. He's never hurried. He's never busy. So why is it that we, who are not God, allow ourselves to be anything but what he was. See, I think sometimes we have to create a certain amount of white space in our life and margins in our life so that we can speak into someone else's life, so that we can help someone across the street, so that we can take time to be a friend to our neighbor, so that we can, we can take time in our life to be able, not just give of our money, because some of you would like for me just to shut up right now and take an offering, because that's much easier to give money than it is to give time, especially in our suburban world and culture. And, and I would agree with that. Except for the fact God doesn't want our money. He wants us. And in doing so, it's life on life. It's what Jesus did. Do you think Jesus ever got tired of the disciples? Yeah, he did. You think they ever got on his nerves? Oh, yeah, they did. He looked at Peter, who was part of the inner circle, and said, he called him Satan. You ever called your kids Satan? Don't answer that. Yeah. Because it's, it's frustrating, and it's messy, and it's not complicated, and it's not easy, and it's anything. It is anything less than fast and efficient. But he didn't call us to make clones. He didn't call us to make copies of ourselves. He didn't call us just to speak and whosoever would. He called us to make disciples. So, and before I go into this process of a protege, I want you to understand, it's more life-giving to the mentor than it is to the protege. It's more empowering to the person that is giving than it is to the person receiving. I'm going to give you an example of this in this church and in my life. Uh, when, when Tammy and I came here to be the pastor, and back when the, there was no stage and the sanctuary was about the size of the stage here, um, I met J.J. Snow. And uh, to those of you that know Jay, you, you know him. And... Uh, 
and Jay is now the executive director of creative communications at Life Church, and he oversees all the media, all the print design, all the graphic design, all the web design. He has a team of people that work with him, but he oversees all of that. But if we have a picture of Jay back in the day. Ah, there he is. That's what the church looked like about seven years ago. That's back, I think Paul had hair back then. And uh, yeah, there's Jay right there. And the music stand was right here. And see, you, and the, right here. And you guys can, Jay, Jay, is there a current picture of Jay? He was giving me a hard time. Is there one? There's not one? Okay, great. So that was a picture of Jay back in the day. And that's when I first met Jay. And the music stand was right about here. And he was playing and singing the songs. And Jay knew how to, he could, Jay can play any instrument on the platform. Uh, he can sing, songwrite, the whole deal. He was doing all of this. And there was just a connection between Jay and I that God just put together early on. It wasn't without frustration from time to time on his part and on my part. And there were times where he and I had candid conversations with each other. And uh, <laughs> there were those moments of, of intense moments of fellowship that we had with each other. And, uh, but Jay had been a painter by trade, but God had put in his heart a calling into, from marketplace ministry into vocational ministry. And so then Jay began, Jay was volunteer at that point in time, and we began that whole journey, that whole process. And, and I remember the first time sitting down and, and meeting with Jay that first weekend, and, and we went to, we, we were eating at P.F. Chang's, and uh, he and his wife and Tammy and I were all there, Donna and Jay and Tammy and I were all there, and uh, Jay were talking about stuff, and I remember Jay going, man, you're just a freaking biblical encyclopedia, like you like know everything about the Bible, and I'm like, Man, we've got a lot to work on here, you know? And because this is going to be a guy that's going to be a leader, he's going to be a guy that's going to be a spiritual leader in the church. And, and, and I remember telling Jay early on, here's the deal. I don't know how all this is going to work out. I know what God's put in my heart to do, and I believe that you're supposed to be a part of that process, and I believe that we're going to work through this thing and do this. But here's what I can tell you. If you'll listen to me and you'll allow me to speak into your life the things that I know, and I, there's a lot of things I don't know, but there are some things that I know, that you're going to be better for the journey to the point that you're going to be marketable in ministry, which means this, that if this doesn't work here in Germantown and if Life Church doesn't work, you'll be able to do full-time vocational ministry wherever you go. I can help get you there. I know that for sure. And the goal is, is that you'll stay and that I'll stay and this will all work together. But the worst, the best case scenario is that we're together and that we're, we're, we're doing life together and that this church, that we're blowing the roof off and God's doing great things and he's using us. But I can tell you the worst case scenario will be that um, you're not here, but that you'll be able to do what God's put in your heart for the rest of your life. I can help get you to that point. And he told me since then, he said, he said, you know, there, there were days I wanted to walk. There were days that you made me so mad. And there were days he made me mad too. But anyhow, that's part of discipleship. And, uh, but he said, but I remembered what you said. And there were times that I thought, man, he is crazy. There is no way that will work there. He doesn't know what, what is he smoking? He is and he said, but I would trust you and I would walk it out and see that there was God's wisdom in it. Because I remember what you told me that you would help me get to what God had put in my heart. And you fast, and, I, and so six months after being here, I sent, we sent Jay and Donna to, to Ed Young's church, a fellowship church in, in Grapevine, Texas. And I told Jay, I said, I want you to go and I want you to see the future. This is where we're going. This is what it's gonna look like. This is the whole deal. And at that point in time, you gotta realize, Jay hadn't, had done no video production, no computer programming, no graphic design, no anything. He knew how to play every instrument and sing. 
But, he, but I knew the compassion that God had put in his heart. And it wasn't my gifting, it was his gifting. But all I could do was just kind of tap on him and help him and let that gifting come forward. And he came back and, and he was like so energized and so excited and just like, and I said, whoa, 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 easy, big fella. This is gonna be a process. We're gonna have to walk this thing through. And so we began to walk it through. We began to develop it. We began to, and we went from that, that slide that you saw, that was, that was the entire stage, which there was no stage. It was just on the ground floor. And there were, there were 200 or, or 150 seats or whatever there were in the room and, and to this, to where we are today. And you fast forward to today and you see all the video and all the media presentation and everything that happens with the lights and with the music and with everything. He runs all of this. And what's been incredible is to see the growth in his life. And I know that Jay, if I gave you the name of some of these churches, you would know them. A large church in Minnesota offered him a job to come and do this. And the church is about twice our size. Another church out west on the west coast offered him. A guy who's probably pastors the third or fourth largest church in the country contacted him and said, we've seen your work, we've seen what you're doing, and we'd be interested in offering you a job. And he came in my office and said, you'll never guess who just called me, what church just called me. And he was telling me, he said, I'm not going, but I just want you to know. I'm like, that's good because I, I, I need you to, to stay. And, 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 uh, and he said, but I just want, and, and he looked at me and said, I just want to say thanks. Because six years ago, you walked into my, or seven years ago, you walked into my life. And you told me that God had a plan for me. And that worst case scenario, this would happen. The best case scenario, we'd be doing what we're doing. That brings more joy to me to see his success. That brings more joy to me to see how God is using him and how he's growing and he's developing and Donna and their family and how they flourished. Wow. So I'm telling you, when you sit back and you go, is it worth the investment? Yes. Is it worth the time? Yes. I would say to Randy Craig, the youth sponsor that picked me up at six o'clock in the morning, is it worth it? Yes. There are people that are in the kingdom because of what he did and, the, and, and what, what God has done through my life will be accredited to him because of what he was willing to do as a cabinet maker. See, you don't ever despise small beginnings. Don't, don't ever think, well, I just don't have enough and this is enough. Listen, if you've got breath in your lungs and God has saved you, then you have a message and a story to tell and it's your responsibility and my responsibility to find people to pour that into. So let's look at what that looks like. The progress of a, or, uh, of a protege, uh, Titus chapter two, verse six through eight. The Bible says this, Likewise, you urge the younger men to be self-controlled and to so show yourself in all respects a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and gravity and sound speech that cannot be censured. Then, then any opponent will be put to shame, having nothing evil to say of us. This, this is a great chapter, but I just want to pull these couple of verses out because it talks about what a protege, what the process of a protege would look like. How, how does it look? What's the result? Paul's speaking to Titus here and he's telling him, here's what it's going to look like. Verse six says the first thing is personal development. When you are speaking into someone's life, you're going to help them develop personally. He said to be men of, of self-control. You see, sometimes we need people that will step into our lives and will teach us how to just manage our own personal worlds. Because in some cases, nobody's done that for somebody. 
Nobody's taught them. Nobody's helped them. How do you deal with this? How do you deal with anger? How do you deal with the rage? How do you deal with frustration? How do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with highs and lows? How do you deal with personal relationships? How do you interact with people? We need people that will be honest enough to sit down in our life and will help us and talk to us straightforward and will tell us what nobody else will tell us, but where everybody in the room is thinking. Because you're never going to grow unless you have people like that in your life. Because you'll be the same person getting on everybody's nerves and wondering why I don't have friends until a mentor steps into your life and says, let me help you. Until you sit down to a mentor and say, can you help me personally get through this and navigate through these personal relationships, navigate through these issues, navigate to do this. That's what Paul says he's doing for Timothy. I'm helping him to become self-controlled and the private areas of his life, I am helping him, I'm speaking into his life and helping him to personally develop to do what God's called him to do. Because I'm gonna tell you something. You can get around a lot of things, but you can't get around you. You can get around a lot of things in life, but you cannot get around you. We have to work on us. We are all flawed. We all, we all have weaknesses. We all have strengths. We all have a, a, a plethora of, of a mix of emotions and giftings and all these things that come together to make us who we are. But at the end of the day, you got to work on you. You know, the greatest thing I can do for this church is, is not preach wonderful messages or, 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 or be at every hospital call or every visitation. The greatest thing I can do is grow me. Because if I will grow me in Christ, and if I will grow in him, and I'll become a better me through him, then what will happen is I'll have a higher ability to be able to lead. And so that the word of God that I'm delivering hot and fresh every weekend will be fresher and hotter. And my relational skills will be sharper and more, and more focused and honed. And I will be able to bring to the table what this body needs. Because I can't do everything. I'm not Superman. But I can be me. And so the deal is, is that a mentor steps into the life of a protege and they help them with personal development. They help grow them. The second thing that they do, verse 7 says, is, it is professional development. Professional development. And the Bible says, in all respects, a model of good works. It's not just enough that you got your personal life together, but some of you, we all do, we need our professional life to be put together. And, and, and here's what I want to say. We, we need, through this whole exchange, to understand the younger generation, people that are my age and younger in this room, it would serve you well to humble yourself and not your pride down a little bit and go to someone who is 15 or 10 or 20 years your senior and sit there and say, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Could I buy you a meal? Could I buy an hour of your time? And could you help me navigate could you help me? I want to own a business. And you look like you, I know that you're a business owner and that you're successful. Could you help me? How do I do a God-honoring business? You're, you're in sales, and sales are one of those things that, man, you're, it, it's, it, there are extreme differences between uh, uh, sales that, that are value-driven and those that have no values. And you seem to be that type of individual. And could you help me? I think I want a career in what you're doing. Could you just talk to me and tell me, what? Uh, give me some advice and, and pour into my life and speak into my life. I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I'm trying to, to raise a young family and I look across the island. You seem like you've got it together and I know you're not perfect, but, but I see you and your wife and you, look, you appear that you're in love and you hold hands and, and, and your kids and, and, and they're not perfect, but, but they're well-mannered and, and I've seen this success and can you do that? 
can, can, could, could you sit down, you and your wife maybe sit down with me? Could you help me become a man of God? That God's, God's put this in my heart and this is what I want to accomplish. Can you help me do that? We would be served well by talking to people across the aisle and asking for that and go, well, do you have a program, a systematic program that we can put this in place? No. It's called you walking up to someone else and shake, putting your hand out and go, hi, my name's Aaron. Can I have a moment of your time? I get wearisome of people that want everybody else to do something for them. We're all people and you have the ability to smile and some of you would do well to smile because that's about the greatest feature you're going to have. You're like me. Just smile. It's as good as it gets, baby. And walk across the aisle and meet people. And you go, do you do that all the time? Some of the greatest relationships I've had in life are relationships that I pursued. I didn't hound the person. I just simply asked, could I have some of your time? I'd be willing to pay for your time, an hour of your time. I'll give you $100. Out of my per- I'll do what I have to do. My very first time to meet with, with one of the guys who pours into my life, I bought the plane ticket. I paid the, the rental car. I went there. I saw him on my dime. Nobody else's dime. It was mine. Because I, I know at the end of the day, I got to grow. Because if I'm not growing, I'm dying. And so I need that. And we would be well served and go, well, but it's a different day. It's a different deal. That's our problem. Mm, That's another message for another day. We as a younger generation should humble ourselves and honor the older generation and ask them what they think and ask them to pour in our life and ask them to speak into our life. And older generation, we need you. We need you. I know you might be hurt. You might not want to be vulnerable. You might not want to be out there. You might have a lot going on in your life, whatever. We need you. We need godly women in this church who who have lived enough life to look at younger women in this church and say, let me show you what modesty looks like. Nobody preaches on that. Nobody talks on that. This is what it means to be a godly wife. This is what it means to be a godly woman. Let me show you how to be a Proverbs 31 woman. We need that. Let me show you how to raise godly daughters. We need that. Amen. I'm telling you, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. And we need godly men that will stand up and that will say, let me show you what it means to be a man and how to take responsibility and how to love your wife and how to love your kids and how to get on your knees and fight like a man before a holy God and allow God to do work in your life. And let me show you what it looks like, how to navigate the cocktail hour so that you don't become a drunk and you don't become a stinking hypocrite out out there because that's the problem. Some of us, I would much rather you not tell them that you're a Christian because you're a bad representation on the rest of us. And some of us, it's like, wow, where have you been all my life? Just shine, shine, shine in the darkness because the world is tired of hypocrisy. The world's tired of evangelical pastors that beat the Bible until everybody else is going to hell, but this is me and this is right and this is what you should be like. Only to find out that that pastor, that that leader has as much junk going on in their closet as everybody else does. We've got to be men and women who live our life out there in the right way. And you go, how do you do that? By sitting down and talking to someone. By finding a mentor or a Yoda and being a protege and say, speak into my life and help me learn how to handle this. So that when I say something, it's truth. And when I tell you I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. And when I'm going to come through on something, I'm going to come through on something. Because this business is, is, is in, in the world is tattered with landmines. We not figured that out yet. And we need people to help us navigate. How do we get through this? How do we do this? It's dog eat dog, and they don't care about you. How do you do it? You find people who have maturity and who walk the talk and who live the faith. There's been businessmen and businesswomen in this church that I have referred other people to. 
and said, you want to go into sales? Why don't you go talk to John Enfield? He's done this for a long time. He's very successful. God's blessed him and used him. And he walks this thing out and he lives a life. Go talk to him. You want to be a woman of God? Let me introduce you to Frida Widmeyer. You, 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 want to, you say you want to start a business? Why don't you talk to Mark and Jennifer Miller and just sit down with them for a little bit and, and talk about what it takes to build a business from the ground up. And I could name person after person after person and all kinds of people in this room and all kinds of great, because there are so many wonderful people in this room that are, are godly men and women. We need you. And those of us that are younger, we need to be mentored by them. This is a biblical principle. So the next thing he says is at the end of verse 7 and verse 8 that the next process or progress of a protege is spiritual transformation. So it's going to help you personally. It's going to develop you professionally. But it's going to be something that's going to transform you spiritually. And Paul, again, is talking to these young pastors. And he's saying, look, that, there should be, that you should show integrity and gravity and, and sound speech and, and, and this is all, these are all spiritually transforming, you know, characteristics. You learn how to pray by hearing somebody pray. I can teach you six weeks on the Lord's Prayer. You can recite it. You can sign a card and say you're going to pray. But I'm going to tell you how you learn how to pray. You get around someone that knows how to touch God. As my grandmother would say, knows how to get on the horns of the altar and knows how to pray it through. Knows how to get out of the spout where the glory comes out. Mm -hmm. That's how you learn. You don't learn by doing the touchdown for Jesus. Oh, Lord, I just thank you for this day. And let's give you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. And you get up and you walk on. You're going to be like roadkill on the spiritual highway. I mean, you're, you're going to be decimated by, by when life comes at you. But it's about finding and hearing you, 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 you want someone to teach you what it means to have faith? Then you get around people who, who trust God and, 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 and you sit at their table and you listen to the stories and you listen to how God's provided over and over and over again. You sit under sound teaching. And if you don't think I'm sound, that's fine. No problem. Stand in line. There's probably people that don't. I'll help you find a place that will work for you, but you need to find a place and do exactly what you're doing, where you take your Bible and you open it up. And quite frankly, the reason why we have the notes on the screen are not for Christians. It's for people that don't have a Bible. Grab a Bible and get it and open it up because you need to ask yourself the question, is what he's saying the truth? You go, well, I want to trust you. I appreciate that. You and my mom, you love me. I appreciate that. But at the end of the day, the Bible says that this thing needs to be established by two or three witnesses. And test the spirit. Make sure that what's being said is true. The only way you're going to know that is by God's word. This is the foundation, not me. I'm not your foundation. Our hope is built on this. And it's just people that know how to... Do you, there are people in my life that they, man, they know chapter and verse. Anytime I've got a problem, they can just like rattle off. Just blah, 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 blah. I am amazed. They, just, they know where it's at. Well, this is what the Bible says. Really, where is that? Oh, yeah. oh, wow, that's there. And I've read this thing cover to cover just like you have. But the reality is, is that it's people that help you and that people that walk alongside you and they spiritually you're transformed. You want to know how to worship? Then find someone in this room that's worshiping. Not someone that's doing this during worship and calling that spirituality. 
Mm, find someone, man, who has a reckless abandon and doesn't care what anybody else thinks. And go, okay, I just want to stand by that person. I want to stand behind that person. I just, it's modeling, it's examples. We find it all throughout Scripture. And when it's not there, things fall apart. And the case with Joshua and the judges. And the last thing that he says is that the progress of a protege will be finishing strong. You'll finish strong. The end of verse 8. He says, having nothing evil to say of us. The greatest compliment that a protege can have to a mentor is that you finish the race. That you finish strong. If you're training someone for a race, it's not so much if they're first place or second place, it's did you finish the race? Did you beat your own time? Did you do better? Did you, did you give it your best? It's kind of like a coach of a team. It's not so much just winning everything. It's did, did, did you go out and play well? Did, did, did you do right? Did, did you execute correctly? Did you lay it all there on the field? Proteges finish strong because of mentors that have led the way. And I'm telling you, Tammy has people that mentor her. I have people that mentor me. There are examples for us as a couple. There is a couple that are in their 70s that we just go, man, that's what we want to be like when we get there. They love each other. They love the ministry still. That's hard to find a retired minister that still loves the ministry. I know that sounds like a joke, but it's really pretty sad but true. And they love life. And if they had 20 more years, it'll just be great. I mean, it's just finding that. But, but examples of finishing strong. We kind of end where we began this morning. When I'm just going to take a little bit of liberty here as I close. And, and the conversation that I think probably happened, you know, Jesus comes and he lives the perfect life and he walks and he talks and he does ministry and does life 33 years. He's crucified he, he goes, you know, through death, hell, and the grave, and, and he, he goes and then he, uh, 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 you know, appears to the disciples. And then before he ascends, he gives them the great commission and says, now it's your job and your responsibility to change the world. That's what he's basically saying. All of this rests upon you, no pressure. And he ascends. And I can see, just, I'm just taking a little bit of liberty here. It's not in chapter and verse. So if you want to disagree with that, you can totally do that. But from my perspective, he walks through the pearly gates and, 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 and he's getting the high fives, right? And he's doing the chest bumps and he's doing nucks and all this and way to go and awesome job. And I mean, you just, you just stole the keys of death, hell, and the grave. You rock, man. You're it. You're awesome. And, uh, and so he just comes walking through and I can just see Gabriel going, can I have a minute of your time? Just, just, just one. I know this is great. It's awesome, isn't it? Job. Kind of question. Now, I know you're the Son of the Living God, and you are God. You're the person of the Trinity. And we here as angelic beings are here to serve you. And, and we've been doing that for, well, since you created us at the beginning of time. And we've seen a whole lot of things happen, right? Adam and Eve, the garden, the reason why we're all here talking about this today, and, you know, those crazy Israelites that are up and down and the whole deal. And, you know, and these, these humans are pretty fickle, and they've never really been trusted and tried and true throughout Scripture. 
And so you've just come and, and you've just lived life and you've taken it on. I mean, full throttle, full force, boom, you've just taken it on. And now you have, you, you've paid the price and they're free. And I don't really think they quite get that because they didn't get it in the Old Testament. I mean, remember the time when God, the Father, had to open up the ground and swallow people whole because they wouldn't follow Moses? And you remember the time when the plague went through? And remember the time when they were griping? I mean, they just came through the stinking Red Sea and then they go, I don't know if I can trust God for this. Yeah, yeah. And now you've just changed the world. Matter of fact, those silly humans, from now until then, they will mark history as before Christ and after Christ. And I, did I hear you right? There weren't even thousands of people on that hillside. There were just dozens. As you ascended, you told them they're to take the message. And they're to change the world. I could see Jesus going, yeah. I mean, history kind of repeats itself, doesn't it, Jesus? I mean, I know you're God, and I don't want to tell you what to do, but at the same time, these people are not trustworthy. These people, they could tank. I mean, they could just, whoop, they're gone. And you've entrusted humanity and the salvation of humanity. And we've been working on this since when? The Garden of Eden? I mean, come on, angels, right? Yeah, the Garden of Eden. And we worked all this through. And for 400 years, God didn't speak until 33 years ago, you came down. And now you're going to trust it back with them? Really, that's the plan. I mean, we could probably do a better job than they could. Just let us take it on. And I can see Jesus saying, no. I'm not going to raise up an angelic race that will proclaim the message. I'm not going to come back down ever so often intermittently and just walk and talk with them and just revisit what I've done. It's in their hands now. And it's completely built upon them taking the greatest commission that I've ever given them. And that's go and make disciples. But what if they don't? Then it dies with them. But it's their salvation, it's their hope, and their story, and it's up to them. That's what's so big about what I'm saying today. Because the church in America today There are approximately around 400,000 Protestant churches with the number of churches that we open every year and we close every year. I'm talking across the board. We have a net loss of 3,400 churches every year. The average church in America claims to run 75, but from what statisticians can best tell, the average church in America actually runs 50. And to be a church of our size on a given weekend, we are in the top 2% of churches across the board, Protestant churches in America. Which means that 80% of the churches in America are plateaued and declining. Which means what you and I are experiencing here, the grace that God's poured out here, there have been 45 adults in the last three weeks that have given their life to Christ. But what we're experiencing here, the grace of God, is not happening everywhere. And, And so when we say we're one generation away from extinction, it's serious. That's why I'm so passionate. That's why I'm getting in your grill. That's why I'm making some pretty tough statements for those of you who say, yeah, I'm a Christ follower, to think about this. Because unless you and I, life on life, relationally based, pour in what God has given us to someone else, we will die and we'll lose this. And the church in America will change. And if you want to know what it will look like, unless we step up, go to, go, go to Western Europe. And you'll see beautiful cathedrals that hold like 20 people on a Sunday morning. You'll find out that if a church runs more than 200, it's like a mega church in Western Europe, and a Protestant church, that is. 
and that they really have no desire and no real inclination towards those things because, yeah, we've seen that we've done it and it really doesn't work. That's why Islam is growing faster in, in, that, in Western Europe than any other religion, period. And the bottom line still remains that if you and I don't go and tell what God's done for us, it will die with us. We need to have protégés. We need to be mentors. We need to take what God's given us to someone else. And that's not my job to do. It's my job to equip you to do. And that's why I'm talking today. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes at me this morning? Father, I just thank you for your word.